I'm getting ready to read one of the most exciting passages um, to me um, in the scripture. And so a few things may happen. One, I may speak in tongues. And by that, what I mean is I may slide out of NIV into KJV. So it's possible that that could happen. Um, And also I said, because this is one of the most exciting passages to me, I know that one day I'm going, meaning I'm getting out of here and up off this planet, and you are too, um, in case you didn't know. But, and this passage lets us know not just where I shall be, but also what I will be. And it says that also over you. So we're in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, and it's a lengthy one, so you'll have to bear with me. 1 Corinthians 15, verses 12 through the end of the chapter. But, it is, but if it is preached that Christ has been raised from the dead, how can some of you say that there is no resurrection of the dead? If there is no resurrection of the dead, then not even Christ has been raised. And if Christ has not been raised, our preaching is useless, and so is your faith. More than that, we are then found to be false witnesses about God. For we have testified about God that he raised Christ from the dead, But he did not raise him, in fact, if the dead are not raised. For if the dead are not raised, then Christ has not been raised either. And if Christ has not been raised, your faith is futile, and you and I are still in our sins. Then also those who have fallen asleep in Christ are lost. If only for this life we have hope in Christ, we are to be pitied more than all men. But. Christ has indeed been raised from the dead. The first fruits of those who have fallen asleep, for since death came through a man, the resurrection of the dead also comes through a man. For as in Adam all die, so in Christ all will be made alive. But each in his own turn, Christ the first fruits, then when he comes, those who belong to him. Then the end will come when he hands over the kingdom to God the Father after he has destroyed all dominion, authority, and power. For he must reign until he has put until he has must reign until he has put all his enemies under his feet. The last enemy to be destroyed is death. For he has put everything under his feet. Now when it says that everything has been put under him, it is clear that this does not include God himself, who put everything under Christ. When he has done this, then the son himself will be made subject to him who put everything under him so that God may be all in all. Now, if there is no resurrection, what will those do who are baptized for the dead if the dead are not raised at all? Why are people baptized for them? And as for us, why do we endanger ourselves every hour? I die every day. I mean that, brothers, just as surely as I glory over you in Christ Jesus our Lord, if I fought wild beasts in Ephesus for merely human reasons, what have I gained if the dead are not raised? Let us eat and drink, for tomorrow we die. Be not misled. Bad company corrupts good character. Come back to your senses as you ought and stop sinning. For there are some who are ignorant of God. I say this to your shame. But someone may ask, how are the dead raised? With what kind of body will they come? How foolish. What you sow does not come to life unless it dies. When you sow, you do not plant the body that will be but just a seed, perhaps of wheat or of something else. But God gives it a body as he has determined. And to each kind of seed, he gives its own body. All flesh is not the same. Men have one kind of flesh, animals have another, birds another, and fish another. There are also heavenly bodies, and there are earthly bodies. But the splendor of the heavenly bodies is one kind, and the splendor of the earthly bodies is another. The sun has one kind of splendor, the moon another, and the stars another. The stars differ from star in splendor. So it will be with the resurrection of the dead. The body that is sown is perishable. It is raised imperishable. It is sown in dishonor. It is raised in glory. It is sown in weakness, but it is raised in power. It is sown a natural body, 
but it is raised a spiritual body. If there is a natural body, there is also a spiritual body. So it is written, the first man, Adam, became a living being. The last Adam, a life-giving spirit. Hmm. The spiritual did not come first, but the natural. And after that, the spiritual. The first man was of the dust of the earth. The second man from heaven. As was the earthly man, so are those who are of the earth. And as is the man from heaven, so also are those who are of heaven. And just as we have borne the likeness of the earthly man, so shall we bear the likeness of the man from heaven. Glory to God. I declare to you, brothers, that flesh and blood cannot inherit the kingdom of God, nor does the perishable inherit the imperishable. Listen, I tell you a mystery. We will not all sleep, but we will all be changed. In a flash, in the twinkling of an eye, at the last trumpet, for the trumpet will sound and the dead will be raised imperishable. And we will be changed for the perishable must clothe itself with the imperishable and the mortal with immortality. When the perishable has been clothed with the imperishable and the mortal with immortality, then the saying that is written will come true. Death has been swallowed up in victory. Where, O death, is your victory? Where, O death, is your sting? The sting of death is sin, and the power of sin is the law. But thanks be to God. Mm. He gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Therefore, my brothers, be steadfast, immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that your labor in the Lord it is not in vain. Amen. Wow. Thank you, Kyleo, for reading, for sharing your heart as you read, and for containing the preacher in you. I could feel it. It was there. If you do not know Kyleo, first of all, what is wrong with you? Uh, you need to get to know Kyleo's story. He moved here a year ago from Philadelphia. I think he's okay with me sharing this for a time of healing and discernment. And uh, he's sitting on the bench for the first time in a long time and not getting to preach of his own volition. But thank you for, for letting the Spirit of God come through you as, you as you read his word. Thanks, brother. And also, thanks, Josiah. Where, where's Josiah who led us on guitar? If you don't know Josiah, he's, he's somewhere. Uh, last time, um, he doesn't lead often. Last time I highlighted that he had recently returned from Mexico and had Mexican dust still literally on his guitar, which I thought was cool. This time he is freshly a father for the first time. And he has a little baby Mirabel back there held by a mama. So Josiah, thanks for, even though I know you got a few hours of sleep leading us uh, in worship today. If you, don't, if you don't know me, my name's Dawson. And uh, I can introduce myself in many ways. I love Tacoma. I love soccer. I love chips and salsa and Star Wars and my kids. I get to equip the church here uh, for ministry. Um, but similar to what Ben said, I would just say I am one whom God loves. And I want you to know that. And I'd love to share more of my story and his pursuit of me if you don't know me yet. So Welcome here today, and I just wanted to make sure we didn't miss one important announcement that Ben already said, and that's that um, Jesus is still alive. He's still alive, and I was going to do it. You did it first. Actually, the first six lines of my notes here are literally what you said, and I didn't share it. So I was going to do this, this, this thing we do once a year that we could do every year. He is risen. He is risen. We are Easter people. We, we live in light of the resurrection every single day, not just, sun, not just one Sunday a year, not just Sundays a year, but Mondays through Saturdays. We are, 
we're Easter people. So if you were with us last week, we uh, just talked about the resurrection and that, um, yeah, it could be and can be and often is something that we might doubt whether it even happened. Um, and we, and we, we gave permission for that, but then in also invited uh, to consider the fact that it perhaps did happen. And today, we're going to just move right into the next inevitable part, and that's that if Jesus was raised from the dead, what does that mean? Like, what are the implications? So, um, I, I love this passage, uh, like Kyleo, I am not going to be able to, like, hit 80% of what is contained in this rich passage. But I want to highlight three things I think Paul um, thematically highlights, and that's that our days are short, okay? Our future is bright, and our final enemy, death, is defeated. So that's what we're going to do here today, okay? Pray with me again um, that... God would help us. Jesus, thank you for everything that we just read about um, that you've done. And thank you, like we already prayed, that you are here right now. You are here. You are alive. And that means you're up to things. Right now, you are up to something for every single person in this room and in the other rooms and down the street and the rest of our city around the globe and that's incredible that's what resurrected Jesus does is presently involved in our lives so right now we ask that we pay attention to something that you might have for me and for each one of us amen there's a chain of islands in the South Pacific called the the New Hebrides and there's a guy named John G. Patton um, who was born a little while ago um, on December, um, on the May 24th, 1824. He was born in Dumfries, Scotland, and he set sail at the age of 33 in 1858 from Scotland to uh, the, the islands of New Hebrides. Now, as far as we know, as far as John Patton knew, the people who lived on these, isle- these islands had never heard about the resurrection of Jesus. Um, he was aware that two missionaries, two decades before he set sail, went to this cluster of islands, but minutes after they arrived, after they set foot on shore, they were shot and then eaten by cannibals that lived on the islands. That's, the, that's all the history that John Patton knew about this island. And for that reason, leaving Scotland with that history in mind wasn't easy for him. People tried to uh, convince them to stay. And we have John Patton's written words about one of these conversations. Let me just read it. He says, Amongst many who sought to deter me was one dear old Christian gentleman whose crowning argument always was, and it's not a bad one, his crowning argument always was, the cannibals. You will be eaten by the cannibals. It's not a bad argument. And at last, John Patton says, at last I replied. Now listen to this. This frames where we're going to go. Mr. Dixon, you are advanced in years now, and your own prospect is soon to be laid in the grave. There, you will be eaten by worms. I confess to you that I can but live and die serving and honoring the Lord Jesus. It will make no, if I can but live and die serving the Lord Jesus. It will make no difference to me whether I am eaten by cannibals or eaten by worms. And in the great day, my resurrection body will arise as fair as yours in the likeness of our risen Redeemer. And the gentleman left saying, after that I have nothing more to say. (laughs) And so John at 33 
about my age, he takes his wife and he sets sail with a little baby and within months of arriving on the islands, they do meet trouble and his wife and son get sick and die. But then over the next few years, John, suffering, was able to share the news we just announced this morning that Jesus is alive. And many of those cannibals, and we should stop calling them cannibals because they're image bearers of God who, like we just heard in Jonah, don't know their right hand from their left, came to know that Jesus is alive. And I don't think John ever regretted what he told to old Mr. Dixon. Worms are cannibals. What difference does it make? Now, I was, I, like Kyleo, I'm familiar with this passage. It's a long one. It's a dense one. What I was surprised by over the last few weeks as I read what Kyleo just read was how much, how much throughout this passage this call and this this apologetics for living on mission for Jesus is laced throughout this resurrection, resurrection passage. That Paul is writing to a real church, to a specific church, a church in the city of Corinth, who we won't get into today, maybe some other time, had a lot of issues going on. He, he very patiently, very fatherly addresses and gently corrects all these different things going on in their church. And he finally wants to get, this is like the very end of his letter, to uh, one specific thing that he thinks need, they need to land on. And that is that some people in that church, in that local church, um, didn't believe in future resurrection. And Paul, throughout, you kind of see him being like, hold on. Like, if there is no future resurrection, what am I doing with my life? He's like, what? In verse um, 31, right in the middle of his passage, he's like, I die every day. He's like, I am losing my life every day. If the, resin, if the resurrection isn't real, what am I doing? What am I doing? Look, I think I have uh, verse 30 through 32 on a slide. As for us, he's saying, if the resurrection is not true, why do we endanger ourselves every hour? I face death, I, I face death every day. Yes, just as surely as I boast about you in Christ Jesus, our Lord, if I fought wild beasts in Ephesus, and that's a metaphor just for like trouble and uh, trauma, real people that came at him in Ephesus. If I fought wild beasts in Ephesus with no more than human hopes, there's no resurrection. What have I gained if the dead are not raised? Now, I studied, I studied philosophy in, in, uh, my, when I was getting my bachelor's degree, and I remember a guy named Pascal, there's this famous Pascal's wager, that it always didn't like completely sit well with, it was like kind of confusing. I don't know if you've ever heard of this, but simplified, Pascal's wager is basically, um, if, if it, it, basically it makes sense to be a Christian, because if what the Christians claim are true, yay, we win. Like, great, eternity with God. But even if it's not true, it still makes sense to be a Christian because in the end, if it's not true, well, you've lived a decent life and it's, it's all good. Paul would be like, are you kidding me? He would be like, seriously? Like, if none of this is true, you think I would die every day? He's saying life submitted to resurrected Jesus is about giving up our life every day. Pascal's wager falls completely flat. It's like you would get to the end of your life, give up your life every day, die every day, consider being eaten by cannibals, and it's like all for naught. He's like, uh-uh, Pascal's has, wager does not pay off. Paul is, is, not, is not okay with that. This is how he plays out the argument at the very beginning, starting in verse 14. And I kind of bullet pointed it for you, just so that we can kind of see. He has like a really logical Pauline argument. Um, I think I got it bullet pointed, uh, Andre, if you can. It's uh, the one that starts with 14, yep. So this is, a, this, is his, this is his argument laid out. He says, if Christ has not been raised, 
If Christ has not been raised, each of these bullet points would be true. Okay, ready? If Christ has not been raised, our preaching is useless and so is your faith. Next, more than that, we are then found to be false witnesses about God. For we have testified about God that he raised Christ from the dead. But he did not raise him if, in fact, the dead are not raised. For if the dead are not raised, then Christ has not been raised either. He's just saying if you can't separate resurrection. Like if, if there's no resurrection, Christ hasn't been raised. And what did he say at the be- beginning there? Uh, go, go back one, Andre. Um, right there. He's saying then we're false witnesses. We are liars. That's a problem. If Christ hasn't been raised, now you can go to the next one. 17, if Christ has not been raised, sorry, I'm getting mixed up. I did this differently. 16, for if the dead are not raised, then Christ has not been raised either. 17, if Christ has not been raised, your faith is futile. 18, uh, you're still in your sins. 18, then those who have fallen asleep in Christ are lost. If only for this life we have hope in Christ, we are of all people most to be pitied. He's saying that's the argument. Christ has not been raised, there's a whole load of problems and trouble. Let me summarize it this way, because that was a lot. If there's no resurrection, Jesus is not alive. Our preaching, our sharing of Jesus is futile. Faith is empty. The apostles are liars. And dead people are gone for good. We are a sorry lot. Did you, did, you, did you catch that? He's like, we are the most to be pitied if we believe this. And there is no future. And then there's this giant word containing three letters, but. Verse 20 says, but Christ has indeed been raised from the dead. And so you can reverse engineer everything we just said If Christ has been raised from the dead, if the resurrection is true, then what is true? You can go back through those verses and play it backwards. Jesus is alive. Our faith is founded. Our future is promising. Dead people in Christ are only taking a nap to be woken up soon. Our preaching, our sharing of this message is urgent. We have imperative, world-shifting, life-changing, very, very good news. That's why John Patton can say, worms or cannibals, what's the difference? Family, life, life on earth now does matter. We talk about that a lot. We'll talk about that more today. But every Jesus follower who's embraced the resurrection of Jesus and the future resurrection of Jesus' followers, if asked, Tell me about your plans. Tell me about your plans. We could answer this way, the way a guy named Count Zinzendorf once was answered that question. We could answer it this way. Preach the gospel, die, and be forgotten. Like that, that literally in some way, in light of what Paul is saying, those are our plans for the rest of our time here. Those are our plans. Now, I, a guy named Karl Marx said, he, if he was sitting here, he might say what he said 150 years ago. He might say, this is nuts. Like, this is, religion is opiate for the masses. You guys just are putting a lot of stock in the future and just numbing yourself for the present, get through with it. I think he's completely honest and, and completely correct if Christ hasn't been risen from the dead, that's a problem. But if Christ has risen from the dead, then this is our, this is our, um, and our kind of distilled plan for the next however many years we get together. We're going to preach the gospel, die, and be forgotten. Why? Because our days in this present time are short, and our neighbor's days are short. My colleague's days are short. So I have some, uh, just at the end of this first point, my longest one, some homework for us. Uh, You've heard us often say that we want to live life together um, 
in this bigger body, but also in these little families called missional communities. And so this is homework for your missional community. Andre, I think I got a slide for that. That's the plans. And then the next one is missional community homework. I would just say, get together with your family, your missional community family, and create a relational map. Just say, who, what's my cluster of islands uh, called the New Hebrides? Who has God called me to? Identify the cannibals. Now, I don't mean like necessarily real people, but what are the hurdles that keep me from just keeping it simple, sharing what Christ has done for me? And then the third is prayerfully, this is our first summer like that's really like without masks and with our neighbors. Like have a great summer sharing the gospel with people, sharing our lives, throwing parties in our backyards and living rooms. And, and don't overcomplicate it. Like John Patton, just be like cannibals or worms. What's the difference? Okay. And I'm going to talk more about that because I'm oversimplifying a few things in a little, uh, here at the beginning. But the second thing I want us to keep in mind, if the first thing is that our days are short, the second thing is that our future is bright. In light of the resurrection, our future is bright. And in this passage that we just read, there's a whole lot of talk about our bodies. Did you catch that? There's like whole paragraphs about our, our, our future bodies, our bodies now, and our future bodies that are going to be resurrected. There's a whole lot of like body talk. And like I kind of alluded to, the, this Corinthian church um, had kind of gotten confused, kind of gotten colonized by the city of Corinth and by Greek thinking, mainly that they believed, probably believed, that like our spirits continue into the future, but our bodies are just meant to be discarded thrown the dump. Like our bodies have no future. We just are going to live this disembodied, disembodied future. And, and Paul, it might seem a little strange for us at first reading, he spends a lot of time in those 50 verses that Kyleo read, a lot of time t- saying, no, there's actually a future body for you in store, a future body that is splendid. That's one of his words, a lot of splendor language. A future for you that is splendid because your body is splendid. I want to read some of those verses again, um, starting in, in verse 40. I believe I have a slide for that too. There are also heavenly bodies, and there are earthly bodies, but the splendor of the heavenly bodies is one kind, and the splendor of the earthly bodies is another The sun has one kind of splendor, the moon another, and the stars another, and star differs from star in splendor, so it will be with the resurrection of the dead. The body that is sown, that's our bodies right now, is perishable, and it is going to be raised imperishable. It is sown in dishonor, it is raised in glory. So he starts describing our future bodies. Your future body is going to be saturated with glory, with the glory of God. Your future body is going to be saturated with the glory of body. Then he says, it is sown in weakness. It is raised in power. Your future body is going to be filled with the power of God. And he says, it is sown a natural body, it is raised a spiritual body. He doesn't say it's raised a spirit. He's saying your body is going to have, going to be animated with the spirit of God. He's saying your future body is going to have the glory of God, the power of God, the spirit of God. We have an embodied future. And part of why I think this is important for us to, to take in is we often have this idea, uh, even if we do believe in an afterlife, we sometimes are not quite sure it's going to be any fun. Like, it sounds kind of boring, standing around for a few million and then billions of years, like disembodied ghosts singing in a choir or something (laughs) forever. We... (laughs) You always get, you always laugh at the things I didn't think you'd laugh at. <laughs> we are, he says we're going to be given bodies. 
We're going to be given bodies with the glory of God, filled with the power of God, animated with the spirit of God, enjoying the presence of God. And anything that you enjoy right here in this broken, half-life, strange body is going to be real then. Your laughter, Rachel, was a half-hearted laugh. In heaven, we are going to really laugh because our bodies will have the capacity to really laugh for the first time ever. If you enjoy architecture, I don't know, Monica, you will enjoy the beautiful interior design of these places that we're living in, the new heavens and new earth, to where you'll, what we enjoy now is like this vague something. If you enjoy, enjoy gardens, if you enjoy, if you really enjoy people, you're going to really enjoy relationships there. And if you don't, I guess you'll have really great solitude. I don't know how that works out. <laughs> Games, music, storytelling. I'm trying to say your bodies that enjoy these things here, it's going to be realer there. It's not, it's not, it's not like, oh, I'm going to have to, sex. There will be no sex, I do not think. But I talk about this with my wife often. The best sex that you can have here is a tiny foretaste of the intimacy you will experience with other bodies with souls and with Jesus in heaven. Not in a weird way. We only can think of it in a weird way because we're distorted. But sex is a foreshadowing of the deep intimacy we were created for. I mean, I could spend a long time just keep still. If you like hiking, you will like hiking more in your new bodies. If you like movies, wait for the storytelling of the future. Dan's future Star Wars is different. If you like food and drink, wait till you see how your glorified body feasts when Jesus is both chef, head waiter, party planner, and conversation part partner every day. Your future is not boring. Our bodies, right now, this is not gonna be news to anybody. Right now, our bodies are broken. That's a good example. Our bodies are in distress. Our bodies are falling apart. Some of this, some of us are more aware of this than others. Some of us are worried because we just identified some pain in a new part of our body that we didn't know could have pain. Or some of us might have gotten a recent diagnosis. Or some of us have a chronic illness. There's hope for you. There's hope for us. I love this quote from Joni Erickson Tata, who lived her life in a wheelchair, paralyzed from the shoulders down. Okay? That's her life in a wheelchair, paralyzed from the shoulders down. It's a longer quote. I'm going to lead, read the whole thing because it's better than anything I could ever say. She says, I sure hope I can bring this wheelchair to heaven. Now, I know that's not theologically correct. That's her words. And if, by the way, that sounds really cliche to you, it sounds cliche to me too, but it gets better. I know that's not theologically correct, but then she says this. But I hope to bring it, her wheelchair, and put it in a little corner of heaven. And then in my new, perfect, glorified body, standing on grateful, glorified legs, I'll stand next to my Savior, holding his nail-pierced hands, and I'll say, thank you, Jesus. And he will know that I mean it because he knows me. He'll recognize me from the fellowship that we're now sharing in his sufferings. And then I will say, Jesus, do you see that wheelchair? Well, you were right when you said that in this world we would have trouble because that thing was a lot of trouble. But the weaker I was in that thing, the harder I leaned on you. And the harder I leaned on you, the stronger I discovered you to be, it never would have happened had you not given me the bruising of the blessing of that wheelchair. 
And then the real ticker tape parade of praise will begin. She's still talking. And all of earth will join in the party. And at that point, Christ will open up our eyes to the great fountain of joy in his heart for us beyond all that we ever experienced on earth. And then we're able to stop laughing and crying. The Lord Jesus really will wipe away our tears. I find it so poignant that finally at the point when I do have, when I do have the use of my arms to wipe away my own tears, I won't have to because Jesus will And then I'll turn to him and say, and now Jesus, if you like, you can send that thing off to hell, which I love that last line. (laughs) You can send that thing off to hell. Family, let's, let's pause right there. What, what is, what's my wheelchair? What's your wheelchair? That honestly, if you could have your way right now, you would say, and you probably said it, you maybe said it yesterday, Jesus, send that thing off to hell. I don't want it right now. But if that's not God's will for this, these few days that we have, what's the wheelchair that beckons you to lean more into him and long for a future without it? Maybe it is limitations to your body. Serious ones. Maybe it's complications with your kids or lack of kids. Maybe it's singleness. Believe me, in heaven, you can damn the loneliness of singleness straight to hell, and Jesus will say amen. Maybe it's an addictive tendency or distorted lusts that you have, that you say, God, take this away from me, but you continue to submit to him if he doesn't. Maybe it's a great loss that you've already suffered. In all those things, we can do two things. Well, actually three. I'm going to add one. You can keep praying, God, just send it to hell right now. You can keep doing that. That's fine. The second is we can say, God, help this wheelchair. Lead me in greater trust to you for now. And the third thing is you can just, it's okay to long for a better future a glorified future with Jesus. That's good news for all of us. That's in some ways another reason why it's good to be in community sharing each other's lives, burdens, and longings. You might need to find someone else this week who can share about their wheelchair that can lead you to trust Jesus. Wow, if they can trust Jesus with that wheelchair... Whew, I, that's really helpful for me. For some, it might be an actual wheelchair. Corey Christensen back there has been a long, a lot, one of the longest members of our church, I think, in this room. Um, and if you don't know Corey's story, like Kylio's, what are you doing? Catch up with this. Um, by the way, Chris, his mom and I talked a while back, and I just wanted to share. Corey can understand what I'm saying right now. He can you know everything that's going on here, brother. He, under, he can understand conversation from you. You just might need a translator. His parents or a few others that know sign language, Corey can sign back his responses. But I want to, the reason I highlight Cor, Corey is because he, he is in a wheelchair. We've prayed for healing before, and right now he's still in a wheelchair. But I want to invite you, maybe that would be a good conversation to have as you're struggling with your own wheelchair, to listen to our brother of how he is leaning to, into Christ's promise for a bright future. And I, Corey, I was just thinking about this, I was praying over this, I can't wait to hang out with you with my glorified body and your glorified body and we're going to do far more than a fist bump. It's going to be one of those post-touchdown chest bumps. Like, hey, yo. You get a glorified body. We get glorified bodies. That's good news. That is good news. Our bodies are not containers for our soul. And that actually changes the way we treat our bodies now. Doesn't it? Uh, Again, I'm not highlighting everything, but Paul talks, he has this whole thing on, hey, if the dead are not raised, if there's no resurrection, let's eat, drink, for tomorrow we die. Like, what's the point? Now, 
we're, we're a church that actually pre-pandemic was known as a party church and for good reason. And I hope that that's again true of us. But there's two ways to party. There's one way is let's eat and drink for tomorrow we die. And it's actually a disassociation from real life. It's a numbing from what's coming. It's a numbing from what's happening. It's a numbing from the hurt of anything from Friday encounter with my boss to like my family of origin trauma. And so we eat and drink and numb because tomorrow we die. Or as resurrection people, we actually do throw parties because we have the most to celebrate because Jesus has risen from the dead. And we don't eat and drink to numb. We eat and drink to point to a future reality where this feast that we have right now is just a small foretaste of the glorified feast I just talked about. And I want to tell you guys, in Tacoma, which I think is generally a fairly party city, partying not to forget and numb, but partying um, fully present and alive is a proclamation that demands an answer from people. You party different. When you raise a, a glass of wine to toast, you party different. We party, as a guy named Russell Moore says, because of Easter, we party this way. Let us drink and eat and be merry because yesterday we were dead and now we are alive. So missional community homework, throw some parties this summer that foreshadow our glorified future. If you're not a part of a missional community, it kind of hurts every time someone mentions missional community, you're like, I'm not a part of one. Well, come talk to me or anyone else. We would love to get you connected with some parties this summer that point to Jesus. Last thing, I said, and this is just, we're just highlighting three things from this passage, but implications of the resurrection. I said, our days are short, our future is bright, Last one, we cannot not address. Our death is defeated. Verse 26, verse 26 said, the last enemy to be destroyed is death. That's the final enemy. Let's read those, uh, those last seven or eight verses that Kyle could barely get through, poor guy. Listen, I tell you a mystery. We will not all sleep, but we will all be changed. In a flash, in the twinkling of an eye, at the last trumpet. For the trumpet will sound, the dead will be raised imperishable, and we will be changed. For the perishable must clothe itself with the imperishable, and the mortal with immortality. When the perishable has been clothed with the imperishable, and the mortal with immortality, then the saying that is written will come true. Here we go. Death has been swallowed up in victory. Where, O oh death, is your victory? Where, O oh death, is your sting? The sting of death is sin, and the power of sin is the law. But thanks be to God, he gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Guys, everyone around us is trying to cheat death. Seriously, like, we have no option. Some of us try to do it, like I just talked about, by numbing ourselves out from that reality that it's coming. Some of us, on the other side, we just work our, I just saw a bunch of kids. I was going to say work our butts off. Pardon my language. We just work. We just like, we're, at, we're after it. This is the way Anne, Anne Lamott, one of my favorite writers, she talks about this this, this drivenness we have. Uh, she talks about perfectionism this way. She says, perfectionism, this workaholism, this perfectionism is based on the obsessive belief that if you run carefully enough, hitting each stepping stone just right, you won't have to die. The truth is that you will die anyway. And that a lot of people who aren't even looking at their feet are going to do a whole lot better than you and have a whole lot more fun while doing it. 
Death is coming. You can't cheat it. We really do. I know that sounds crazy, but we really, those two camps, we really live as if we could somehow cheat death in the end. We were given this destiny of death through Adam. And now we're given the promise through a second Adam, through the resurrection of Christ. You probably saw in that passage, there's a whole lot of Adam and new Adam language, which I wish I could do another sermon on. For since death came through a man, through Adam, the resurrection of the dead comes also through a man. For as in Adam all die, so in Christ all will be made alive. Because of Jesus' resurrection, death has lost its sting. That might, we just sang it. Do you see the picture, the metaphor? Like, there's actually a, a, a picture. There's a few metaphors in here. Death has lost its sting. It's like a, a stinger on a bee. And a, a dad, like, swatting the bee so that the bee is has is, is lost its stinger potential when his kid is right here. Death, death has lost its, its sting. The, there's a similar metaphor when we look at Psalm 23, when we pray, be with me, God, when I walk through the valley of the shadow of death. Have you ever thought about this before? It's, it's the shadow of death. It's not Death. Because of Jesus, we don't walk through the valley of death. We only walk through the valley of the shadow of death. I recently heard this little story. A Presbyterian pastor named Donald Barnhouse, his 11-year-old son was reading Psalm 23, and he gets to the valley of the shadow of death part, and he says, Dad, what's, what, why shadow of death? What's the shadow of death? So they're driving in a car, as they're having this conversation, and a semi-truck comes by them and briefly blocks out the sun for a second as it comes by them. And the dad stops and says, hmm, would you rather get hit by the truck or its shadow? What he's saying is Jesus on the cross is hit by the semi of death. So that all we have to encounter is the shadow. So that the sting of death is, is lost. Because of Jesus, who took our pain and bore our suffering, because he was pierced for our transgressions, and he was crushed for our iniquities, by his wounds, we are healed. It's amazing. We are not subject to the crushing, lasting effect of death pre-Jesus rising from the dead. Death, this, verse, this chapter multiple times says, death is just a nap. It's just, it's just a nap. And like Jesus, who goes to a little girl who's died and everyone is devastated, Jesus comes to her, says this little phrase in Aramaic, Talitha Kumi, which says, hey, get up. For those of us who by God's grace have been gripped by this good news that Jesus really is alive and has given us life we don't deserve, one day our bodies will be wakened up and we will live forever with him. So our days are short, our future is bright, our death is defeated because Jesus is alive. And I just want to say, church, there are different kind of, there's probably many ditches, but I think in general, little church tribes or communities can fall in these different ditches where one ditch is that we only focus on the future and we're just waiting for, for heaven. And that's what Karl Marx was so upset about. He's like, you're just living so disembodied. And then there's this other pit, this other ditch, where we just forget about our future hope. And without that future hope, suffering is difficult. Without that future hope, um, it, is, it is difficult to just deal with, with life as it comes. And I just hope we're not a, a ditch church. 
That's why I started with the whole worms and cannibals thing because we're not just a church that's, that's waiting. We do have, there's a reason you live on your street right now. There's a reason you've been sent to your workplace. Or, and so I, just, I hope we can stay in the middle longing for the future but asking the risen Jesus to empower us right now to proclaim risen Jesus. I want to end with this little tiny anecdote. You guys know that I grew up in East, some of you know, probably only a few of you know that I grew up in Eastern Europe. And so the history of specifically uh, Slovakia, Czechoslovakia, is dear to me. And there's this, there's this where I grew up, and there's this, um, this little story. Right at the end of the fall of the Soviet Union in the late 80s, the, the communists had charge of this vast crowd in a square. And they had them all there, they had an agenda, and there was a, a courageous bishop the Orthodox Church, that comes up and somehow, I still don't understand the details of the story, he like asks if he can talk to the crowd. And for some reason, the communist, uh, whoever was in charge of the program, the official, said, okay, all right, but you got five minutes. That's all you have. You, you, do, you, you cross five minutes, I'm taking you off the stage. And this bishop says, oh, I only need 20 seconds. And he gets up there. He stands and looks at the crowd and says, Jesus Christ is alive. Jesus Christ is alive. So family, slightly revised plans for our future. Preach the gospel, die and be forgotten, and then live again. Let's pray, and then um, we're going to respond to this good news in different ways.